Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. Because last week we started this, this conversation talking about the rabbi and the Talmudim. And if you feel confused already, let me make it super, super simple for you. Rabbi was a master teacher. So back in the Bible, a master teacher, someone who taught a yoke. A yoke was a way to um, uh, interpret and share something called the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Who knows the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Matthew, Nas, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, say that ten times fast. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, it's, that was the Torah. And it's, there's a lot in there. There's a lot within those five, first five books. But a rabbi was someone who taught the Torah and taught their interpretation of the Torah. So they're teaching the Bible. And what would happen is that there would be people, Talmudim, were people who were invited by the rabbi to apprentice under them. So we all know plumbers were apprentice under a master plumber or a master uh, electrician or a master builder. You know, it's like you come and you actually apprentice under and you learn from. That's the invitation of Jesus to us today. Even though Jesus is not with us, the Spirit of God is with us, and so there's an invitation that says to you, come, follow me, and learn. I will teach you. The crazy thing is, um, in my sermon last week, I mentioned that the Talmudim had to go out and search for their rabbi. So once they got to the point, once they've basically passed their university degree of Talmud, Beit Shefer, which is the second, there's three parts of the school, Beit Shefer the first, Beit Talmud was the second, and then Talmudim was the third. The three parts of the education. Once they graduated the second part, they had to go find an apprentice. Whereas Jesus, if you've heard of the story, goes to fishermen, goes to tax collectors, goes to Simon the Zealot, who is a domestic terrorist. What I mean by that is they would kill other people in the name of religion. Went to these people and he said to them, Hey, I have found you, you follow me. You don't have to go out and find a rabbi, you come to me, I've called you. And that's the invitation to you today, wherever you're from, if it's your first time, if you've been in church for a while, the invitation to you is to follow. You don't have to prove anything, you don't have to go through the three systems of Jewish education because we're not Jewish and we're not in the, those times. But you are that person that Jesus comes to and says, are you going to follow me? And if we follow, we learn and we base our life around three goals. The three goals are to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. Or that, what you say, be like your rabbi, be with your rabbi, like your rabbi, do as they did. But this week... Um, you can go back to our Spotify and listen to last week. If it sounds complex, after one listen, it's not. It's not that complex, you know. Um, just listen to it maybe once or twice. Ask me any questions you have. I can point you in the, the, the content materials for you to learn this yourself. Um, we're going to talk about being with Jesus. So 
Part of our call as disciples, as apprentices, as followers of Jesus is to be with him. So let's go to the Bible. John 1, 35 to 39. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. These were the disciples saying that. When the, uh, John saying this, sorry. When the two disciples or apprentice or Talmudim, because they were Talmudim to John, so they were disciples to John. They said, they, they, they turned and they followed Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty mean. That's pretty bad. Like imagine you've like, I've got my disciples. Look at those guys. And all of a sudden they're like, ooh, I want that one. And it's like, that's a better rabbi. And the thing about it is John, John was preparing the way for Jesus. So he didn't care. And Jesus turned around and said to him, what do you want? And I want to, I want to ask this question to you this morning. In your discipleship to Jesus, you're not just a Christian. When you follow Jesus, you come under that banner of disciple. When you follow Jesus, you can become a Christian by belief, but um, becoming a disciple becomes the way that you live. My question to you this morning is, what do you want from your faith? What do you actually want? Do you want to come and sit in a room with us and, and feel good and go, go throughout the week and not change your life, but then come back next Sunday and feel good on a Sunday? Or do you actually want to live a life where you know the freedom that is available to you, where anxiety is overwhelmed by peace, where rejection is overwhelmed by love, where you know, actually, I know God. I follow Jesus and my life is not just a Sunday to Sunday thing, but actually every living moment, I know that I am not alone and that I am loved. I want that. Oh, oh, I want that. Jesus said, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Then we jump down to John 1, 43 to 49. This is where Jesus is just calling his disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Significant thing. Follow me. I am a rabbi. You haven't found me. I have found you. Follow me. If you are willing, follow me. If you want it, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We sang it in the last song, King of Kings. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That's a, that tells you a little bit about Nazareth. He knows of a, of a place that maybe we could say that about. Gosnells, can anything good come from there? Armadale, can anything good come from there? Midland, can I th- I'm from Gosnells. Uh, uh, Lucy came from there. I'm from Gosnells. I went to Armadale school, High School. Good things can come from there. God is bigger than Armadale. Nathaniel asked, come and see. Listen to that language again. Come and see. And said, Philip, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked Jesus, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. To say that is big. We can go to it another time. But notice what Jesus said to the would-be disciples, the people who are going to follow. 
He says, come and see. Or another way put is, come and be with me. Come and look at the life that I live. Come and see the way that I live my life. Have you ever found someone or had a friend that you're like, I I just want to be around them because the way that they act and they're good for my kids. Or I just want to be around them because the way that they treat people. I want to be around them because they're, they're they're consistent. They're the same person yesterday, the day before. They're just the same person. They're open. This is like Jesus saying, come on, come spend some time with me and see I am the real McCoy. And that was and still is the open invite of Jesus of Nazareth. But the question is, Jesus of Gosnells, how does this work? How does this work? Because who thinks we live in the first century Israel? I don't think we do. We live in 21st century Somewhere, you know, wherever you come from. And Jesus is not here in the flesh because Jesus was a real person. He was God. Here's something to make you sound fancy. If someone wants to talk to you about Jesus, just say, this, oh yeah, so the hypostatic union and just drop that and then don't explain anything. It just means that the, the duality of Jesus is human and Jesus is God. You know, it's like Jesus was fully human and fully God. But when he was on earth, He was fully human. So anything that we see in the Bible of Jesus, he did as a human, which says that I can do this as a human. I can live a life of love as a human. I don't have to become deity or divine to live this way. I can overcome fear as a human. I can overcome brokenness as a human because of the person of God, the Spirit who lives within me. And that's what we don't have Jesus here in the flesh, but we have him here in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God, it says in in the Bible, that we receive the Spirit of God when we believe in the name of Jesus. Salvation enters our hearts. Jesus says this in John 14, 16 to 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. I'm not using my, my slides. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, in your heart. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That phrase, another advocate, is actually translated in Greek, can be translated as another like me or another one of me. Which is really interesting when you start getting into things like getting into real things like Trinitarianism, which basically means God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You know, and there's a whole bunch of things we can talk about. But basically what Jesus is saying is, I am leaving so God the Spirit can be and live within you. My advice to you, if you don't understand it, is don't try to. Not yet. Read about it, pray about it. I still don't understand it. I'm still getting my head around it. I could give you a lot of things to read, but I'm not going to. So John 14, 25, though, says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. So according to Jesus, and when you when we you grow in your faith, we look to Paul, yes, because Paul looks to Jesus. We look to Peter, yes, because Peter looks to Jesus. If you want a good way to live your life or to learn, go to the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and read them. Years ago, I've told the story a few times, I was sitting in a church service and God said, get up, get out and go. And I went to Dome, of all things, it was terrible. I went to Dome, I sat down and had a coffee and God said, I want you to read the Gospels. So I read the Gospels for two years. Nothing else in the Bible. For two years straight, I read the Gospels. Whenever I read the Bible, I didn't just constantly read it, but whenever I read the Bible, it was the Gospels. And it made me see Jesus. There was a revelation of Jesus that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he is the person that we should base our life off of. So the way that you and I are to be with Jesus, according to Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. This means that the first and primary goal of being a disciple, following or being apprenticed to Jesus, is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit, which is the baseline of all things. This is hard. This is hard. When you're angry, when you're watching a show on TV that's a bit unsavory. Hey, God, just watching Game of Thrones again. Yeah, it's just like, when you're watching something on TV or when you're in a fight and you're like, all right, the Spirit of God is with me. He's with me. I, I was saying this to someone. If Lucette and I were sitting in a room and there's someone here that, that hurt me or upset me, if I started bagging at that person, Lucette would look at me like this. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, Andrew, what are you doing? She said, no, no. Give me some mother love. And I'd be like, I'd look, I'd look over at this person and I'd be like, actually, maybe I shouldn't treat the person this way because I know that Lucette is with me. And she knows that I can do better. She loves me, she cares for me, and she knows that I am more than bagging out the person, tearing someone down. She knows who I am, and she holds me to a higher standard. With Jesus, with God in that seat, if I'm to look at someone and be like, I do not love you, you're not a good person, I hate your haircut, you know, it's like, you, you, look, you look at the Bible and it says that, what is the greatest command of all? Love your neighbour as yourself. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbour as yourself. The Spirit with us, holds us to a higher standard. And Jesus has this metaphor on how to live in this brand new reality of a constant state of awareness. We spoke about this at our church camp this year. It's in John 15, 1 to 4. I am the true vine and the fa- my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, that bears no fruit or every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The word remain, abide, we talked about it at church camp, keeps popping up. Remain, abide, remain, abide. In John 15a, it goes on and it continues to 1 to 8. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 5 to 8, sorry. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples, Talmudim, apprentices, followers. The word meno, the Greek word for follower, is used 10 times. And if someone has ever sent you a text message or sent you a, a, a paragraph or an email and they use a word constantly, do you think you should take notice of that word? Yes. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain. 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 Meno. Meno. Abide. 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 Get into the Father's presence. You know, as we're doing worship before, you might have felt something. You might have felt like, I feel that there's something holy about this moment. It's when we sing together and we pray together that it's almost like we become more aware that God is with us. Dave spoke a while ago, or a couple of weeks ago, how often do we think God does for, things for us and how often do we actually recognise that God is with us? He is constantly with us. We are just not aware. Get into the Father's presence and stay there. Root yourself, ground yourself, centre yourself in the Father's presence all day long. Now this does not mean... Becoming a monk. Because that misses the point of Jesus' life. Because a monk technically moves into something we call hedonism. Where it's about the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Because even though it's great that you're in the presence of God constantly, you're avoiding the world. And the world is where God has called light to be. Light shines the brightest in the darkness. Love loves the most where there is brokenness, rejection and abandonment. So for us to be in the presence of God, there is this tension where we live constantly aware that God loves us and that he holds me to a standard and he empowers me to live that standard. But I can't avoid my relationships, that conflict. I can't avoid the world. I can't just turn off TV and pretend that nothing is going wrong and I have nothing to do. There is this constant reminder for us that we are to live in the world but not of the world. You know, when's the last time you're like just on your computer on Facebook and you're like, oh, God's with me. When's the last time you had that moment of like you're driving along and you're like, wow, God is with me. No flashing lights, no thunder, nothing like that. It's just this sense of like, actually, I'm not alone. Father God is with me. I am with him. I think, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we don't focus or don't refocus our minds to realise that God is constantly with us. He constantly wants to talk to us, share with us, be with us. But we get so busy. We get so busy. Busyness is... A sickness. But we'll get into that in a second. 
But, you know, there's this idea of being with God is the different, um, like the Catholics call it contemplation, to contemplate upon something. You know, so Paul calls it prayer without ceasing. Um, it's, some people call it advanced prayer. So it's like there's the level of prayer, then you graduate to the level of advanced prayer, then you graduate to the level of getting your pen license. It's like there's all these different ways to describe it. Effectively, what it is, is the presence of God. And a man named Brother Lawrence, who was a Parisian monk in the 15th century, he actually dedicated his whole life to practicing the presence of God, which meant that he, he just brought himself away from the world. His job was a dishwasher in a monastery, and he spent all day, every day, focusing on being with God. And he wrote, he wrote some letters that he would send out to people, but this is a quote that he has that I was listening to, this, to a teaching about this, and I was reading about this, and this really stands out. The time of business does not with me differ does not with me differ from the time of prayer. In the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God, and as great, as great tranquility as if I were on my knees before the blessed sacrament. In your kitchen, washing dishes, when you're crying because you've been rejected, when you're at work and you're frustrated, when you're trying to merge in Perth and someone cuts you off, I am as I possess God. He is in my heart. I have the presence as much as of the moment in the moments I'm in church. And this is a man who knows because he's dedicated his life to it. In the chaos, the noise, the rush, the busyness, God is with us. And I don't know about you, I, I want that kind of relationship. I want to know that God is with me at all times. I want to know that he is here constantly. But that, that, that the way he phrases the practice of the presence of God, what we, we often get into is we come into, into church, we come into faith, and we think that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change my life. I don't have to change the way that I do things. It will just happen. But the, the tendency of practice, who has ever been to a gym before? Who has ever studied to be a paediatrician before? Who has ever studied or done anything that requires you to practice over and over again? I'm a guitarist. I'm not the greatest guitarist, but I've been playing for 18 years. I've practiced for 18 years to be able to do four, a four-chord song. And I still stuff up. The practice of the presence of God tells us that we are on a journey and it's going to take a whole life for us to even get to a semblance of mastering it. The practice of the presence of God is like a new language. It doesn't happen overnight. Writer William O. Paulsell has this to say, It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there's nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deep and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. You know, no self-help technique, no level of income. Did you know that they did a, a research and they found that there's a level 
of income where that you reach and then after that your happiness does not increase or the serotonin the happiness that you reach it doesn't increase and that's $75,000 apparently up until $75,000 is actually an influence on your happiness through finances then after that uh, like majority percentage says that it doesn't actually increase after that it's no level of income no relationship will enrich our life more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily life. You know, it's like the, the idea of the mundane, miraculous and the mundane. Do you see God in the mundane? You know, my sons are annoying as heck. I love them to bits, but they're so annoying. Ollie just, my youngest, he's two, he just repeats the same thing over and over again. But he is alive. He is a little miracle. He is learning. He's growing. My son Charlie can now write his name. Whereas before he was just just lump of cells and became a human. Well, he was a human. He still is a human. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> now he is doing these amazing things. I can either take a moment and be like, oh, it is what it is. Or I can be like, wow, look how much he's growing. Look at my child. My child's about to go to high school. Look at these different things. How powerful is that? My child's not going to high school, Sandy. It's someone else's child. So the thing, what we can do, though, when we practice, you need to have discipline. And discipline can be a dirty word because we create something called hypergrace where we think, I can do anything, and it doesn't matter. Whereas discipline is this idea that to follow a rabbi, I need to have discipline to follow them. And discipline in the context of rabbi and Talmudim and Jesus himself is actually a really bad way to describe it. We've described it because of the way we understand it now. What Jesus would have called it is a habit. This is my habit my whole body, my body, mind, and soul, I kind of build my life around this, these habits that remind me and bring me in the, into the presence of God. You know, and actually, up until, up until the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, a lot of people who came... The Protestant Reformation basically means when the Catholic Church splits into evangelical churches and whatnot. So a lot of the churches, we're part of a Protestant church. That's why we're different from the Catholic Church. So there was a split within the majority of churches. Up until the Protestant Reformation, when you became a believer, you were taught how to fast. You were taught how to do silence and solitude, which go, go away and contemplate. You were taught how to do community well. You were taught how to do charity well. You were taught how to read these practices and orient your life around Jesus. Now what the modern church has created is like, come to church and you believe. So it's an, almost like a moral thing. If you believe this, and you believe that God is a deity, that he's divine, you can say, I believe he's a deity, but does he actually impact your life? Does he actually impact the decisions that you make? When was the last time, I, I was talking to someone about this, when was the last time that you had an opportunity, a small opportunity, not a big opportunity in your life, and he said, hey, let me just pray about it. 
So often we're so quick to be like, yes, I'll say yes. When was the last time you're like, hold up, that's a great opportunity. And this is a silly example, but I would love to go to the movies with you. Just hold up, let me pray about it. I know that sounds really silly, I'm, and this is hyperbole, I'm trying to make an exaggeration here. But for us to really recognise the power and the presence of God in our life, we have to almost go in an exaggerated way and realise that if he's part of our life, he has constantly has something better for us. He constantly has a better way of living. And maybe, just maybe we should start asking a little bit more. So these practices that we can do lead to something that we find in Galatians 1 to 5. And I'm going to jump down to verse 22. Because this is the, the fruit of the Spirit. And the kids did the fruit of the Spirit puppet play last week, which is absolutely hilarious. But what, when we live our lives with Jesus, following Jesus, with the disciplines in our lives of Jesus, the rabbi, the Talmudim, being with him, we start to see fruit in our life. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is a very famous passage. Sorry if you can't see it. It's quite small. This is a very famous passage, but this is one of those passages that have become misquoted and misread. Because what happens is we read this and we say, all right, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And what we do is we transform this into a list of commands to become more virtuous. Where at no point in this passage has Paul said, you must be more loving, you must be more joyful, you must be more peaceful. That 1 Peter 1 Go to there. There's time for it where Peter does say, yes, add things to you, to be, uh, virtuous things to your life. Yes. But in this passage right here, what it's saying is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Long-suffering, faithfulness, goodness. These are the things that happen when we are connected and in constant unity with the Spirit. How cool would it be if I could just be like, I want to be more patient, and you're just like, <clears throat> be more patient. Oh, great. I don't hate my kid anymore. You know, it's like, well, it's, oh, I want to be more loving. <clears throat> more loving. Oh, great. You're all great. I love you all so much. No, that will not happen. I can walk away from here knowing that there's a few people who think that I talk too much. A few people who don't love me. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is not something and the fruit that we can just conjure up and do overnight because it is something that comes out of an inner disposition of knowing the Spirit of God in our hearts who transforms us to be more loving. I can love and I can have some willpower, but I know that my willpower runs out by about 10 o'clock until I get my next coffee. And then all of a sudden I've got willpower. I can love you until... I can love, can't love you any longer. And that's not going to be the whole day. We have a finite supply of willpower. So to, the fruit of the Spirit is not a com- list of commands that says, go and be more patient. No, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. 
Keep, and it says it twice, verse 16 and verse 25. Keep, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Like the words of Jesus, stay in the vine, abide, remain in me. How does an apple tree make an apple? No, it's easy. It remains in the vine of the trunk and an apple is produced. An apple is not stressing, an apple tree is not stressing out to create fruit. It's abiding in the vine at the trunk. In the same way, how do we as disciples and followers of Jesus bear good fruit? Not by trying hard, but by abiding in the vine. And as we stay in connection with him, we will produce fruit over time. You know, I heard someone saying, it's like, one day I'll be more loving. Yes, it might not be today, because you might have a situation in your life that you're like, I do not like this person. I really do not like this person. But one day, I might love this person. It's, not, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to then go and abide in the vine, spend time in God's presence, and then produce that fruit. I just want to finish up here and I'm going to jump over a few of my notes. But there's a difference between having the life that we want to live and adopting the lifestyle required to have that life. I need to lose some weight. I need to give up coffee. I need to stop eating as much salt and and fat. Because I want to be more ripped. I've got a dodgy heart, so I need to, I want to I live a long time. If my lifestyle has, does not change, I cannot expect the life to produce the fruit that I want. The life that you live compared to the lifestyle that you have are two very different things. So Jesus, God's not going to say, Hey, have more peace, have less anxiety, and, and then say, but sweet, you live a busy, expensive, stressed out life, you work four jobs, you haven't given these people. He's not going to say, here, have peace, and then you go off and you're just like, go and fob off someone. He's saying, abide in me and that fruit will come out of the lifestyle that you live. Some of us are trying so hard to fix the outer. We're trying to fix the outer. I'll just behave in modification. I'll be more loving. I'll be more patient. You know, this these list of commands. I'll just, I'll just be more assertive. All these sorts of things. And maybe people will listen to me. What God is saying to us today is you're going around in circles, hitting a wall. Ah, oh, I need to be more, be more bold. Go around in a circle. Oh, I need to be more loving. You go around in circles, nothing's changing. And then God's saying, stop, turn inward, and let's go to your heart. Is your heart good? Is your heart in communion with Jesus? So many of us want the life, but don't change the lifestyle. So let's change our lifestyle.
Let's change our lifestyle, our habits, our routines, our Sabbath time, maybe the way that we spend money. We can unpack this later another time. But let's look at the template of Jesus' life. Let's study that. Dallas Willard says this quote. I'm just going to wrap up here. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. I'm going to give you an invitation to start changing your lifestyle this week. At 6 a.m. every day this week, I'm setting my alarm and I'm going to wake up and you can join me, not in my house, but somewhere else. You can join me at 6 a.m. And for 10 minutes, we're going to sit in silence and we're going to abide. You can sit... At 6 a.m., just abide. I'll be doing it at my house. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? 6 a.m., I know that some of us have kids and some of us just aren't good at waking up early. But I encourage you, if you want the life, you need to live the lifestyle. You need to be with Jesus. The second thing I'm going to invite you to do, which I think is a lot more doable for people, is I'm going to delete social media off my phone this week one week can you do it delete social media off your phone wake up at 6am delete social media off your phone I'm going to invite you on the Freedom Family page I'm going to send a text out and say this is what we're doing this is the, the challenge the lifestyle shift but I encourage you let's not let's not crave a life that we're not willing to change the lifestyle for. Let me pray for you. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City Podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.